Okay, we're back. You can keep texting each other. Like I said, we can be a little interactive. I'd like to thank our worship team for a wonderful time of worship, even though we're figuring things out. But this morning, we need to thank our tech team. So um, from your homes, you can thank your, our tech team. Um, Jeremiah, Jacob, Joey, Mark, they worked hard to get us back up and going. And um, they are here early working hard and staying late and trying to get all these settings adjusted And so we praise God for them and thank God for them. You know, as as our um, internment goes on, if you want to call it that, or whatever we want to call the quarantine, the stay-at-home orders, it gets harder and harder, doesn't it? And we're seeing that in the news. We're seeing that with the protests. You know, we've been about a month of doing this. And and I know it's hard because people are starting to say, I've had enough. And, And I'm not saying we should protest. I'm not saying we should go out and give the virus to whoever we can. But we need to acknowledge it's hard. And the reason it's hard is we are, are designed for relationship. From creation, we are designed for relationship and community. And to tear that away is just very, very difficult. We're made in the image of God. Well, God is the Trinity three in one in perfect relationship. And so we are designed for that relationship. And so seclusion is hard. I saw it at Second Harvest last week when a lot of you guys came out. I would say we had more help on Second Harvest last week than we normally do. And what I heard is people like, we just had to see people. We just had to be able to, even though we weren't close, and even though we were social distancing, to be able to wave and say hi was huge because we are designed for community. And I think that's one of the reasons God created the church, is to, to be family, to be community to bring that together in a spiritual way that is deeper than just an ordinary friendship because we have the most important things in common. We see right now on the news all the time, people are struggling with loneliness. People are struggling with purpose. People are struggling to get that face-to-face contact. I've seen psychologists and and counselors weighing in on this and, and talking about how difficult this is because screen time helps but it isn't a replacement, right? And, and it's nice to be able to see people's eyes. There's something about seeing people's eyes, but to see in person is just so much more powerful. One um, psychologist was talking about that we're hardwired for physical contact. And I'd be like, yeah, that's how we're created. They go to evolution, and it was sort of ridiculous, but we're created for that. And he talks about that isolation is a fact that is so abhorrent to us that we still use solitary confinement as the, the worst form of punishment. And think about that. And, and, and so we, we know this. And he goes on to say, if someone's been really bad, you really want to punish them, you put them in isolation. The human connection with others is vital for us. Another psychologist said, loneliness goes beyond a feeling. It's a biological flag hardwired in us to say we need to find other humans. And they go on and on and on that we just can't shake it because it is built into us. It's created into us, I would say. And so today we come to a text. You're probably wondering, why am I starting this way? You're telling me stuff I already know, Pastor Ron. Well, today in the text, we find Paul struggling with this issue, with an issue of being separate from people he loves, people that he's invested in, a church family that he founded and fathered and started. Because we know he, he went to Thessalonica and he started that church with Silas and Timothy. 
and they built this church up and they worked in the community and lived in the community and they just loved on these people and, and made family. And then some of the opposition rose up. Some of the Jewish people, some of the other leaders were like, no, they're, they're stealing our, our power. And so they go and try to arrest them. They start arresting some of the other Christians there. And so Paul, Silas, and Timothy just unexpectedly had to leave town. And the church snuck them out for their life and for the, for the protection of the church. And so their time with them was, was abruptly cut short and they were separated from the people they loved, from the people they cared about. Now, they didn't have FaceTime and they didn't have Zoom and some of the other things we have. So they, they wrote letters, which is why we get First and Second Thessalonians. And, and they sent messengers, which we'll talk about today. And we know from there, going back to our introduction, that Paul and, and company went to Berea after that, which was just a, a 20, 30 miles away, and ministered there. And then they got kicked out from there. And they ended up finding their way down to Athens, which is a very secular city. And, and Timothy and Silas, it looks like as we piece Acts together with, with, with First Thessalonians, looks like Timothy and Silas stayed in Berea for a while, ministered, and then Paul asked them to join him in Athens. Well, they're all down in Athens and they're thinking about the people they love in Thessalonica. And they're like, this is hard. This is really hard. And Paul is burdened for them because he can't get them out of his mind. And in today's text, we're going to see that finally he says, I had to send Timothy back to you. I I had to send someone to talk. We had to have a connection. And so we come to today's text at, at a perfect time. And it's a, it's a hard text to read for me. It's an emotional text to read for me because I miss you all. And, and I can relate with Paul of saying, oh, I wish we were together. I wish I could see you face to face and ask how you were doing and see your body language to see how you're really doing and that, that we can talk and pray together. But for now, we have this. And just like Paul had to adjust to his circumstances, we adjust to ours. And so we come to Paul missing people he's separate from, but together in heart with them. And he expresses that in some beautiful language in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll start at verse 17 and we'll work our way all the way through verse 5 of chapter 3. We're in a longer section that, that Pastor Andrew is going to finish next week. But in this section, we get the opening thoughts from Paul about how he misses them and what he's going to do about it. And so I've titled this morning, Separate But Together, because Paul was separate from this church that he loved, but together with them in heart and proves it by what he does. 1 Thessalonians 2, 17. I'd like to read the whole section and then we'll, we'll dive into it. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know, 
For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. And we see this beautiful description of Paul and his heart for this church, even when he was apart. Even when he was separated, his heart was still with them and he still cared about their spiritual growth and how they were doing. And we can learn so much about how we can deal with our situation from this text. We learn how to care for people. We learn how to minister in an appropriate heart. See, when we are in biblical, godly community with each other, when we do the work to be family, when we are living the way God wants us in community, it will be hard to be apart. It will be. It'll be hard to be apart and we will find, be motivated to find ways to connect. And, and those are really are going to be our first two points. It's going to be hard, but we've got to find ways to overcome it. So in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 2, let's start there. And, and these two points inter, interweave together. They're both out of the same two verses. But the first point in your notes is it should be hard when we aren't able to be together. It should be difficult. There should be an angst uh, when we can't get together. You know, even the tech problems this morning reminds us it's hard to be apart. It sort of stinks to be apart sometimes. And there's challenges that we have to overcome. And and as we were going through it, I found myself longing even more to when, when every seat is full and we're all back together. And so all of these things should remind us that it's hard to be apart, and that's actually a godly attitude as we, we struggle when we're away from the people we love. And so the verse starts in verse 17, but since we were torn away from you, and again, the but, we, we start right there, is it's a, it's a difference, it's a contrast which what came be, with what came before. And a couple of weeks ago when we were at the passage before, Paul was talking about their response to the ministry and that they responded as it was the word of God, the very word of God. They looked forward to it. They accepted God's word. He said, but then he said, even in affliction, because people around you are persecuting you for being Christians. Those people that ran Paul and company out, they're still harassing the church. And he said, your own countrymen are harassing you. And he goes off on a tangent of people that are opposed the gospel. He says, they don't, they don't love you. They don't care about you. They are hindering you. They are harming you. And that's where the word but comes. Because now he's going to compare the people that opposed the gospel that were simply about their own gain. He's going to co- compare that with him and Silas and Timothy and say, we did ministry different. We did ministry differently because we cared because we loved you. And so right from the start, he compares those people who, who he described as acting in a way displeasing to God because they were using relationships for their own purposes to their approach of acting in a way that was pleasing to God and loving the people they were ministering with. So we start with, but since we were torn away from you, brothers. And I, and I want you to catch the language here throughout this whole text of how hard this is for Paul because that's instructive to us. Since we were torn away. And notice the intensity of this. The word for torn away there is to be orphaned or to rip a child from their parents. And this is an intense word. Imagine kids that are listening, parents that are listening. If someone came in your house right now and ripped your family apart and then you didn't get to see your kids for months at a time. And that would tear you up. I, I've heard stories of things like that happening. And it is an anguish. That is the word Paul chooses to describe how much he misses the church. 
Man, that's intense. And it should be. That's how much he loved them. And so he says, we were torn away from you, brothers. He again uses family language. The torn away is family language. Gives a sense of desolation. Brothers, he reminds them that we are family. And then he says, for a short time, we're torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in heart. We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. And that more eagerly is abundantly. It's actually a couple words that stack on each other. So it would mean super abundantly or a, a whole lot. <laughs> you know, in, in great amounts, we desire to see you. It's all we can think about. We want to be together again. The word with great desire to see you face to face. Again, he's using intense language. It means with great passion or intense longing. What's interesting here is that word, this is one of the few places in the New Testament where that word is used in a positive sense. It's the same word that we translate lust or craving something so much we're willing to sin to get it. But that word can be used both negatively and positively. And so Paul chooses that word to say, I have a great desire for you. And it's a godly desire. It's a good thing. It should be hard when we aren't able to get together. And so we see statement after statement after statement of this intense emotion from Paul. Now, it's interesting because this great desire or passion to meet them, philosophers of the time would have said, that's not very manly. That's not, that's not how a man should act. You don't feel that deeply for someone. And I've even heard it today. A, a book says we should never use words like love in the church and loving each other and loving God. Well, I'm sorry, it's in the Bible. And it is actually incredibly masculine and feminine to love because we are all created after the image of God and He loves us deeply. How great the Father's love for us. And that's our pattern That's what we're designed with. And so Paul is using language that would have been ridiculed at the time as, oh, that's too feminine, and that's hogwash. It's not. Learn from this. We are to love each other, men and women. We are to be in relationship with each other. It was interesting on the the elder Zoom meeting yesterday, we were um, reading the passage from John the Baptist, um, the announcement of John the Baptist, and one of the phrases in there that caught my attention was that God will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children. That's speaking of love and care in a secular world that gets stripped away and say, oh, that's not masculine. But in God's plan, man, a loyal love that is willing to die for someone, that is as good as it gets. And so Paul is using that kind of language. I have a great desire to see you face to face. I wanted to come to you. Then he even switches to to the singular here. I, Paul, again and again. And so he's using this intense language to say, I repeatedly wanted to come to you. And we're getting the idea that this is hard. This is hard. In chapter 3, we read in verse 1, I could bear it no longer. In verse 5, I can bear it no longer. Do you get the pattern? Paul is, is being transparent with us. And I, and I think we can learn from this to say it's, it's okay that it's hard to not be together. Because the, our second point is going to be that's what will motivate us to find ways to connect. 
but we should care for each other. Now, now, I want to I want to point out a phrase in verse one there. We were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart. And Paul, what Paul is referring to here when he says in person, not in heart, and we think, well, okay, that makes sense. But what he's saying is, even though we're apart, my heart is with you. And he's speaking to relationship. He's speaking to some bonds and some connection there. And that he had ministered in a way that developed relationship. Now, now understand where I'm going with this. It's only hard to be apart if you've developed relationship. Make sense? If he hadn't developed relationship with them, it would not be hard to be apart. And that, that is so instructive to us because the whole structure says, but since we were torn away from you, since we were torn away, since we have a heart for you, then we endeavored to see you. And, and so this is all predicated on this relationship. Quite frankly, if it isn't hard to be apart right now, we're doing it wrong. We're doing Christianity wrong. Not that we do Christianity, but we're not living for God rightly. I, I can remember the kids when they were young, whenever I'd, you know, maybe I'd take them to school and I would do it wrong. I'd always say, you're doing it wrong. Like it's my way. It's not wrong. Be quiet. Now, um, but in this case, if we aren't missing each other right now, that's a time for some self-inspection. That's a time to say, why am I not missing my church family? Have I not invested enough? Have I not loved enough? Have I not been a conduit of God's love for me? See, our love for God is true if it flows to others. Two greatest commandments, right? Love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself or love others. We have it out in the lobby. Love God, love others. You can't divorce the two. If we love God, we will love others. If we are living for God, we will love each other so much that we will miss getting together. And that is hard to say. Some of you are extroverts. You're like, of course, this makes sense. Some of the introverts are like, eh, I don't know if I, I track with you. I'm not saying you have to miss a crowd of 200 people. But still, there should be an element of missing some of the deeper relationships. Even introverts, we need some deep relationships. We need that. And it needs to be with people in the church, in the family of God. Jesus said this to his disciples when he, when he, he combined a love for God or a walk with God with loving each other. In John 13, 35, he says, by this all people will, you know that, will know that you are my disciples. So this is Jesus. Argue with him if you disagree with it. <laughs> By this, people will know if you're my disciples, if you're walking with me, if you have love for one another. You can't divorce the two. And so it should be hard when we can't be together. I, I know we can get busy. We can be out of sight, out of mind people. But that's not the way family works. It's not the way church family works. In Philippians 1, we see Paul um, repeat this sentiment to the church at Philippi because this is just who Paul was. This is how he ministered. And to the church at Philippi, he writes, is it, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And you see again, God's love 
the affection of Christ Jesus flowing out to others and you see his heart for others. So we start by saying we need to acknowledge that it's hard. We need to acknowledge that we need each other, that we miss each other. Expressing those things helps the connection. Admitting those things helps us move to, to still connecting. You know, some of you parents, your kids are really missing people at Village. And, and I know one, one parent, um, Pastor Andrew, was talking about his daughter seeing other kids up here, and it was hard. And it is hard, and we need, to, we need to let our kids know it's okay to feel that way. And that should make our reunion all the more joyous. But it should also motivate us to, number two, church families should long to and make every effort to connect and be together. Church families should long to and make every effort to connect and be together. We, we see that, again, in the same text, some of the same words we used. He says, since we're torn away from you, since, since it's only in person and in heart, we have relationship with you, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. The word endeavored in some translations is translated, we made every effort, which is where, where I use that wording in the point. Paul is saying, we made every effort to see you. We made every effort to connect with you. And that word for endeavored, it includes two different aspects. It includes speed and diligence. Those are both part of the definition. And what I mean by that is speed says when you make every effort, I'm trying now as fast as I can, as hard as I can. If I say, I want to connect with you. And you know what? I'm going to give you a call in 2021 and we're going to connect. Is that making every effort? No, you probably wouldn't even take my call if I didn't speak to you or think about you until then. Because that shows a lack of relationship. If I go home to my family and say, you know what? In May, I'd like to talk with you guys because I love you. They're going to be like, what about the three weeks until May or two weeks or whatever we have? No, making every effort includes the the concept of speed. I am trying now to connect. When we think of this as a church where we're separated right now, are we trying now to connect or are we just going to wait till we get back together? Endeavored means now. It also, I said speed and diligence. The idea of diligence is I'm trying to find creative ways to do this. I'm going to keep trying. I'm not going to let obstacles stop me. I am going to find a way to connect to the church. And so that's why we're doing things like Zoom meetings. That's why the ladies did a Zoom meeting last night that I heard was really good. They wouldn't let me on. I don't know why. But um, I heard that was really a great time together. And we have the Wednesday night prayer Zooms. And, and I know the Friday night community group is, is connecting that way. And, and we're trying to connect as many ways as we can, as creatively as we can. I would bet that with all of you listening, there are more creative ideas that you have than I have. And so let's use them. Let's find creative ways to get together. I've, I've seen a few of them that are, are just really cool. But the word endeavored with speed and diligence means we can't just lightly take caring and connecting for each other. No weak sauce connections here. No weak sauce care. There should be a true desire and longing. The wording here, and, and, and sometimes the Greek word order is different because they're highlighting different things. And, and here it highlights this, this idea of making this effort over and over. It would read something like this, which doesn't read well in English, but you get the sense. All the more eagerly we made every effort your faces to see with great longing. 
And, and it's stressing the effort. It's stressing the eagerly. It's stressing the longing. And I love just the idea of your faces to see. And, and so church families should long to and make every effort to connect together. But go on to verse 18. There, there's a section that we, we didn't um, highlight because we wanted to come to you, and then Paul gets personal. I, Paul, again and again, and we see his heart um, because he, he, he just bursts out with that. And the last phrase, but Satan hindered us. But Satan hindered us. And now, now I, in our Western world, we can read a phrase like that and you're like, oh no, he's talking about supernatural. We don't believe in that. Here's the thing. Satan is real. And Satan is tempting us and Satan is at work trying to oppose the work of God in this world. Now, I know we have to be careful. We don't want to see Satan under every rock and, and oh, I didn't get a parking spot up front. That's Satan. No, no, no. Just someone parked there. That, that's all it is. And, and, and so one, one author, I think it was C.S. Lewis, but I'm not sure on that. One author said, the problem with Satan is sometimes we take him too lightly and sometimes we think he's too strong. In reality, he's real and he's at work opposing God but his strength is nothing compared to God's. And so we don't have to fear, but we have to be aware. And so this phrase, Satan hindered us, Satan was actively trying to keep Paul, Timothy, and Silas from being in community with this church they planted. Think about that. Think about why did Satan not want them together? Now, for their, for their growth and, and stability, we're going to see that in a minute. But Satan does not want the church to be together and strengthen each other. He does not want the church to be encouraging each other. He does not want us to be connecting right now. And and I don't say that lightly. I don't say that flippantly. And, And Paul didn't jump to Satan, stopped him every time. Sometimes the Holy Spirit, he said, directed him differently. But in this case, he says Satan is hindering. It's interesting because that word for hindering there is a really cool word. It referred to what would happen when a defensive group or an army, as they're going through a town or a region, they would break up the road to keep someone from following them. Or they would break up the road to keep an enemy from advancing. And so Paul is saying, Satan keeps breaking up the road to keep us from advancing God's work. See, Satan doesn't want us to be together, and so that should make us long for and make every effort to be together all the more. Martin Luther said, if you don't believe in the devil, it's because you've never tried to resist him. Ouch. It's a lot of truth there. A lot of truth there. So for us, what keeps us apart? What keeps us apart? And, and, and maybe some of these aren't Satan and just the, the realities of life, but maybe Satan is trying to keep us apart because our circumstances can keep us apart. That's what keeps us apart right now. Our habits can keep us apart. Our busyness can keep us apart. Our petty issues with each other that really don't make a difference in eternity can keep us apart and keep us from connecting. Now that one probably is Satan, for sure. And so... We need to think through what keeps us apart and overcome those and say, God designed us for community. Do we have Paul's heart that we will try every path we can to connect? Every path we can. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. 
gives us just insight into God's heart. And this is, this is why I think Satan wants to hinder this, because there is power to God's church being together. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. As we get together, we are prodding each other to love each other and love God more, to do his work, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's power to be together. It's hard not to be right now. I know we can't, but we find ways to connect because that is where the embers all feed each other and the flame for Christ of this church can grow. So how do we do this now? I I am not saying that everyone should defy government orders and come next Sunday. But we do this now in whatever way we can, in whatever creative way we can, whether that's notes, whether that's phone calls. And right now I would encourage FaceTime or Zoom or something where you can see the other person. I think that's really important for us right now. The effort alone of trying to connect is what makes that connection stronger. And so what ways are you trying to connect? I've heard creative things of people driving by other people's houses and, and waving or leaving things on the porch for people. But let's connect. It's going to take effort. It's going to take effort. But let's do that. Next two verses talk about really his deeper heart of why he's doing this, what brings him joy. And point number three is value people and relationships and the eternal joy they can bring Value those over the temporary pursuit of happiness. And I probably reworded this one 10, 15 times, trying to get all these different things in. But the idea is we need to value people more because that's where eternal joy comes from. Not circumstances or not these temporary things that we think are going to make us happy. So right now, I mean, you could be doing stuff with your your at home all day. You Maybe you have projects all day and you're like, I can do this like 18 hours a day. I only need to sleep six hours. We're good. And we never connect with others. That's valuing something that brings temporary happiness over people. And and hear Paul's heart here in 19 and 20. For what is our hope or confidence? What is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. And, and in verse 19 here, he's talking future for when Christ comes back and he's standing before God, he wants to see the Thessalonians standing with him. He says, nothing would give me more joy than if you were with me because you had stayed fast with God, that you had persevered with God. And Paul could have said, ah, I can't get to you guys. Circumstances are tough. See ya. Have a good day. But he persisted because they were his joy. And his hope was to see them standing pure before God and righteous because of Jesus' blood. And so he valued those relationships. He valued the mutuality of walking together. He said, you are my hope. You're my joy, my crown of boasting. And that's not a, a king crown that referred to a victor's wreath of a game. And, and he basically is saying, that's how I know we've run the race well is when you've stayed close to God. Isn't that cool? And that's our heart. That's my heart for you, village. There, there is nothing more that I want than to see you walking with God and to see you run the race well and finish the course and, and God to be able to say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. That would bring a joy that is eternal. And, and here Paul is saying, he, he gives the idea of the eternality of it. 
He's like, at, at Jesus' coming, and he's, he's going to talk more about Jesus' coming in chapters to come, but this is, this is what matters. And, and really this point is value what matters. And it isn't the circumstances around you. It's the people around you, the relationships around you. So he says, you are my hope, my confidence, the joy, the gladness in my heart, the praise and the satisfaction for where they're at. You are, are show that the race has been won. This is the ultimate prize. And then in verse 20, he, he actually shifts to the present. I don't know if you noticed that. He says, is it not you? For you are our, our glory and joy. Instead of you will be, which is more verse 19, he says, for you are our glory and joy already how they are responding to God already, it's, a, it's something he's taking joy in. I also think, what, what an example of an encourager. If you're, if you're at the church at Thessalonica and you get this letter, you'd be like, wow, that's really cool for him to say. And it would inspire you to say, well, I don't want to let him down then. Because I think we can view this both from Paul's side, we take joy in people as we invest in them, but from the other side, as, as we walk with God, we are bringing joy to the people that have invested in us. And for all of us, we have people in our lives that both of those relationships would apply to. You know, I, I see this with my kids. There is such a joy to see them when they make choices that follow God. A joy that I, actually I have a hard time expressing that, that emotion. Joy is the best word I have, but it is, it is like joy on steroids. I, I, I don't know how else to describe it, to see my kids walking with God. And it's why it hurts so much when, when they don't make good choices. Because we're all, all sinners and we're all figuring out how to walk with God. But I love Paul's heart here. The deep emotions again. He's not shying away from emotions. But he's saying, God, this is what God has put in my heart for you. These first three points, it should be hard not to be together. We should be finding ways to be together and we should be valuing people. I want to stop for about five minutes and we're going to do an exercise together, okay? We can do this live stream because you're home. And so there's some things that I want you to get. And we're going to put a, you can put that slide up now. Take a moment, grab these items, and we're going to do this. We're going to put this into practice now. So the first one, grab your kids if you have some. If you don't have kids, don't grab the neighbor's kids. That's sort of wrong. Um, but grab your kids if you have them. Kids, I want you to be part of this, okay? This is important. Grab a sheet of paper or two, um, maybe some pens, pencils, if you have crayons, colored pencils, and, and maybe a church directory. And I want you to pick a church family member and write a note of encouragement to them. Then this week you can figure out how to mail it to them. I I, I know we still know how to do that. Um, But don't do an email for this. There is something qualitatively different about a handwritten note. And you can argue with me and maybe I'm just old school. But try, you know, bear with me on this one. And let's sit and let's write a note to somebody. Start it. Worship team's going to sing a song for us, one that you missed when the live stream was struggling. Um, but they're going to sing a song. And, and don't worry about singing along, but think about how can I connect with someone at Village? How can I encourage someone at Village? Paul says in Philippians 4.1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And so how can we do this? And then 
when, when we come back together, kids, you can still work on your papers and you can still work on notes to encourage people while we talk about the last point in your parents' notes. But let's do this. Worship team, let's, let's worship together. Take a moment and write a note to somebody. I just have one more point in the last few verses that I want to go over today. Um, I know we lost a little bit of time from the live stream being down, so we'll move quickly through this. But point number four, this is where Paul sort of puts this into practice. He shared how he feels, and now he, he, he has the therefore. In fact, that's how verse one is going to start, therefore. And he's going to say, this is, this is the outcome of our care for you, that we miss you, that it's hard. And, and point number four in your notes is be burdened to encourage and minister to each other, even at personal cost. Be burdened to encourage and minister to each other, even at personal cost. This is the therefore of the day. And, and, and you can look at each of those words. Burdened means it's heavy on our hearts. I've got to find a way to connect. And, and even at personal cost, that I'm not going to put myself first. I'm going to put you first. I'm going to put people first. So we read in, in verse 1 and 2, we see the cost. Um, it says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, again, you have that intense language, I've had enough, I can't do this anymore. When we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And, and it's really interesting because he goes on to say, we're going to send Timothy away. But the wording here, at first I'm like, okay, so he sent a buddy away. But we have to remember Athens is a very pagan town, a secular town. He is sending his co-worker his son in the faith, maybe his closest friend away to now minister alone because Silas is going to go away to another area. And so now he has to face ministry alone against stiff opposition. In fact, we know eventually he'll leave and go to Corinth. Um, but he's breaking up the team. And the word for alone there, again, is emphasized. And it has to do with this, this loneliness, desolation, that is hard for us to understand. The word is used to leave someone at one's death or to leave someone who has died, to forsake someone. And so Paul here is saying, I'm willing to, to break up the team. I'm willing to have, have great personal loss right now and, and a cost personally to minister to you. And in verse 2 he says, And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith. And so Paul sends Timothy, a young man, and, and quite possibly, and this is a little bit of conjecture, but it looks as if most of the, the um, opposition in Thessalonica was toward Paul and Silas, because Timothy was the junior member of the team. And so Timothy might have been the only one that could go back with the opposition. And so they, they send Timothy back after he had just come to Paul from Berea, to be able to strengthen these people. And, and the first thing I thought of when I read this is, is the wording there is Paul is saying this was at great personal cost. And, and I think how often do we think of helping others and think of caring for others and connecting with the, the others as a great personal cost? Are we willing to sacrifice ourselves, our own lives, our comforts, our plans to be able to encourage other people? What sacrifices am I willing to make for the gospel or for ministry? You know, being alone, right now we're alone, but can we find ministry? Um, maybe sometimes it's not making what I could financially. Maybe it's being on call 24-7 or, or 
because if you care about people, that's what it is. You don't just care for your family during certain hours of the day. You care for your family, period. And if we're family, we care for each other no matter what. We have our whole heart bent towards each other like family. And and that takes sacrifice. Paul is willing to put others before himself. And that is how we should be making ministry decisions. That is how we should be making relational decisions. What is best for the people we minister to, not what is best for me. And so many times I see that mixed up. And we don't like to make sacrifices and we don't like to put ourselves in hard situations. But Paul did for the sake of relationship and for the sake of building others up. You know, my wife was a good example of this a few years back. She's always a good example of this. But a few years back, just in a real convicting way to me, um, she was willing to make sacrifice for ministry. And and we, we got a call from a family in the church that we love. And um, one, of, one of their kids is getting married out of state. And the pastor that was going to do it had a death in the family, couldn't do it anymore. And, and the call was, can you come do the wedding? And, and I remember that because the weekend was my wife's birthday. And um, we had plans and she would be alone and we have three kids at home. And, and I can remember thinking, I can't do this. And Susie said, no, you should do this. I've got the kids. Don't worry about the kids. I can take care of them. I'm a mom. Don't worry about my birthday. We can celebrate that later. And, and she was willing to sacrifice at great cost to herself and her own convenience and dreams and wishes for the sake of ministering to someone else. That is what Paul is showing us by example here. That is the kind of, of heart that we should have to minister to each other, to support each other, to love each other. This isn't easy. This isn't easy. But it's right and it's good. And so Paul says, when we can bear it no longer, we're willing to be left behind alone, basically desolate to send Timothy to you because this is better for you. And then we see the goal. And there's several things as part of the goal, and we can go through these pretty quickly in verse 2. To establish and exhort you in your faith. And the idea of establish is to, to give a good foundation. So it's to strengthen, some of your translations translate it, to strengthen your faith. And so this has to do with teaching. This has to do with understanding Scripture, a knowledge, and building a foundation for a faith. And then the second goal for Timothy was to exhort or encourage them in their faith. And that's more how are you doing, right? What, what emotional state are you in? Are you, are you doing well? And so Timothy was sent both to teach and to support, both to encourage and to give a solid foundation because that's what a church needs. That's what any person needs, actually. Are we speaking truth into people's lives? And are we encouraging them and, and lifting them up? And so that's two of the the goals that were mentioned there in verse 2. In verse 3, Paul goes to another goal, that no one be moved by these afflictions or no one be shaken by these afflictions. Remember, Paul and company had been had been um, run out of town by the opposition. That opposition is still there and Paul's heart is, I don't want you to lose faith because of that opposition. The word for shaken is sort of fun. It has to do with a puppy wagging his tail. 
I'm like, what on earth does that have to do with shaken? <laughs> but the idea is it's always moving, right? It's, it's changing, and, and, and he's concerned that they wouldn't just change at the opposition. And so he said that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. And that phrase, don't skip over this phrase, because theology always impacts life, right? And Paul is reminding them, God knows what is happening. God has known it for all time, and it is part of his plan and what he is accomplishing. And there is such a sense of peace in knowing a statement like this, you're destined for this. Jesus even said, if you're my disciples, you're going to be persecuted. It's going to be a little rough. And so Paul here, his heart is to keep them walking with God and say, God knows. God knows this and he is going to use this for his glory and your ultimate good. Don't worry about the circumstances. God already has this in his plan and nothing can thwart the plans of God. Not even COVID. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that cool? Because now, instead of worrying about, oh, what's going to happen, we can be excited and say, what's going to happen? God's going to use this somehow. This is awesome. And that's what Paul is reminding them. You're destined for this. For when we were with you, verse 4, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. He's warned them all along so they wouldn't be surprised. Just as it has come to pass and just as you know. We expected this. We're in this together. We're all experiencing opposition. And so he's, he's connecting with them, even though he's apart, to say, yeah, we're suffering too. We knew we were going to, to be suffering. But God knows, and he's using this. And in verse 5, he wraps it up with the same wording as he uses in verse 1. This is sort of a, a, an envelope to a, to a thought here. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. So he sent Timothy. He wants to know how they're doing. And he, he, the best way he can think of is, I'm going to send my, my closest friend that I know is walking with God to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. His heart is, I hope you're still walking with God. I hope you haven't walked away. And I'm willing to, to go to great personal loss and, and cost to make sure you're walking with God. Satan had kept him from coming, so he found a different way. What was the answer that Timothy brought back? That's next week. Because Timothy went, Timothy came back and reported to Paul, and Paul wrote this letter. So Pastor Andrew is going to talk about Timothy's report next week. But learn today from Paul's Paul's example. It's really hard not seeing each other. It's really hard not seeing you. To see how your faith is. To encourage you in your walk. To see you encouraging each other in a walk. This is why I love when you post pictures of you watching the live stream and, and, and all those kinds of things. Is it hard to be apart? Yeah. Is it intolerable? Yeah. But the question then is how are we going to connect? How are we going to not let Satan use that to drive a wedge in us But how are we going to still encourage each other in the faith, strengthen each other in the faith? I end with this thought. It is pleasing to God, because this whole book is about how to please God. It is pleasing to God when we miss each other and find ways to connect and encourage each other spiritually. 
It is pleasing to God when we miss each other and find ways to connect and encourage each other spiritually. And so I end with this. Let's do it. Let's make sure we're doing it. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, thank you for the example from your word. Thank you for um, Paul's heart that we can see that. And I pray that we would have that heart. Lord, that we would ask ourselves, am I missing people? And if not, ask ourselves where we're at with you, where we're at with our relationship with others, Lord, and what's stopping that. But then, Lord, help us to channel that that angst of missing each other into finding ways to connect. And Lord, I pray that out of village, there come some of the greatest creative ways to connect each other during this time, that we will know we are family, that we are know, we know we are strengthening each other, that we are encouraging each other. And then as you said to the disciples, the world will know we are Christians then. They'll know we're your disciples when we, they see us love each other. So Lord, give us, give us creative juices this week. To figure out how to do this, you know, we're a month in and the novelty is wearing off. And so help us to find some new and creative ways to connect to each other and be your church and reflect you well. In your name, amen.